Welcome to episode 126 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 126 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great. Still super busy with the move, but other than that, things are going well. How many days now? All right, let's see. We close in five days, and then the movers are coming two days after that. Today we had the big, what kind of cat door are we going to get debate? My husband and I are trying to figure that out. And it's it's harder than it sounds because we have a cat window now, but the new house has more of a contemporary style, so it doesn't have the same kind of windows. So we're going to have to get one put in a door. And you would think we were like trying to buy, you know, the crown jewels or something because this has not been an easy decision. I tried to get him just to handle it and no. <laughs> I remember we, we had a cat door for a while, but then the cats would just bring in all the animals. So then they we got rid of the cat door. Well, you know we have that problem. Yeah, I know. His big thumbs down is we've got like a door that goes to the side yard. It's right by the garage. It's in a great location. We can close it off like so they can come in just one little area of the house kind of a thing. So that that's, you know, attractive if we ever want to, you know, just let them come in and out one section. But it's a really nice wooden door. And he's like, I don't want to cut a hole in this really, really nice wooden door. I'm like, well, <laughs> too bad. We're going to have to do it. So I think we found one. But yeah, you wouldn't think it would be such a hard decision. But it, it was so hard. There's so many options. Well, I want to see a picture when it's all said and done. All right. But yeah, we do have them bringing in critters. And that's just one of the things that um, that happens. Have I ever told my raccoon stories? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I had my own raccoon stories. Right. So, you know, we, things do come in. And <laughs> maybe this store will be too small for a raccoon, but I doubt it. <laughs> we'll just have to cross our fingers. No raccoons. Well, very exciting. <laughs> Hi. What's up with you? Anything big? Just chomping away at the new podcast. It's going so well. It makes me so happy. It's like my little gym treasure in life right now, I feel. Well, good. We were talking before, but I'm I'm so like honored and grateful because iTunes has been really like featuring it everywhere because they recently rehauled all of their their categories and the way they promote things. So they're featuring it as like a new podcast. They're featuring it as a top nutrition podcast. Um, it's maintaining in the, the top health category. So I'm just, I'm so grateful. It's crazy to think, um, I think it's easy to, cause we have this podcast. So I expected that it would do well, you know, but, um, I'm just trying to like really maintain my sense of gratitude for it because, I realized that, I mean, I don't think it's an easy feat for that to happen. And I think, oh, it, of course it would happen because our, our podcast is doing so well. But um, I mean, it takes a long time to build up to that if you think about it. Just with like building any audience, you know? Oh, yeah. Like years. 
Right. So I, I know that's exciting. Well, congratulations. Thank you. The episode on Friday is finally that sleep episode that I kept talking about. So super excited for that. Also in other news, do you know what happens on August 23rd? Also on Friday? I don't know. What it, what does? Taylor Swift's new CD comes out. <gasps> yeah, I never would have. I would have not ever guessed that in a million years. Oh, man. I've never... I don't have any Taylor Swift music in my collection. I have zero. <laughs> Taylor Swift. I feel like you're either a Taylor Swift, zero. no pun intended, lover, or I don't know. I guess she has a lot of haters as well, but oh, I'm a Taylor Swift fan for life. I don't love or hate. I'm ambivalent. I'm Taylor Swift neutral. Neutral. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You would have to have listened to love or hate. So it's just not been something. I mean, I raised boys there you know, 19 and 21. It wasn't like playing on the classic rock stations I was listening to. So I've had no exposure. She is a wonder. She is a wonder. But shall we just jump into everything for today? Yes, I think we're ready to get started. And we're going to start with some listener feedback from Monica. And the subject is thoughts on HCG. Monica says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I am listening to your latest podcast, episode 122, and following with interest your thoughts on HCG. One thing to take into account with any of the reproductive hormones is that they're designed to work in association with other hormones. HCG isn't usually produced in high amounts unless a woman is pregnant and is a signal then to other parts of the body to begin or continue certain things necessary for maintaining a pregnancy and preparing for a new baby. So while it does seem to have an unlocking effect on fat stores in order to protect a new baby if a mother has poor nutrition, it is also part of a hormone cascade that happens with reproduction, and it will affect other hormones, likely having effects that people trying to lose weight don't need or want. For example, when a woman is pregnant, a certain amount of her hormone activity and her energy go into preparing to breastfeed, not something those trying to lose weight want unless they really are pregnant. It's impossible to explain to one's body that one only wants this hormone to do this particular thing and nothing else. We have no idea of the full range of activities that some of these hormones affect. We're only scratching the surface of all the things hormone activity affects during reproduction, which makes it difficult to target things appropriately when trying to use hormones or synthetic hormones, especially the reproductive hormones, to help with things like weight loss. In the case of those struggling for months without losing weight, which was the original question that brought up HCG weight loss, I think you're much better off doing what Jen suggested and finding out what is going on with the body that's not allowing the weight to come off. I love what you've said in other episodes of your podcast, and I think it applies here too. Sometimes something in the body needs healing in order for it to function well for weight loss, and finding out what that is will help not only with the weight loss, but also with overall health which is what we're all after anyway. Just a few thoughts about hormones from me as I listen to your podcast. I've listened to every one of your podcasts and am now following both of your new ones. Thank you for your research and wisdom. Peace, Monica. Yeah, I think that was a a great feedback to get. Thoughts on that, Melanie? Yeah, I thought that was a really great, I agree, (laughs) a really great email to follow up with. 
I thought we had a really fascinating discussion on HCG. For listeners, I'll put a link to that episode where we did discuss HCG. The show notes for today's episode, by the way, will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 126. So I'll put a link there to our prior discussion that we had. Basically, we just went into how does HCG potentially work in the body and you know, is there a place for it? Is there not a place for it? Um, but yeah, I agree completely that overall – you know, finding the root cause of everything is key. And in the end, if we can, you know, achieve pristine health through diet and lifestyle alone, I think that's definitely the way to go. And then supplements or hacks beyond that can be ways to finesse and fine tune and maybe upgrade your performance. But I don't think they should be the go-to method, especially for something like weight loss per se or something like that. So yeah, I really love that email from Monica. Yeah. And I never thought about that. I mean, you know, I was sure did go right over to the doctor and get some when <laughs> when I first heard about it. And I was like, sign me up for that. But I never thought about, you know, how it would affect other hormones or your body in other ways. And, you know, I sure did gain a whole lot of weight after it. So yeah. And then the same case can be made for even things like isolated vitamins and stuff, because for example, right now, actually, I'm recording the audiobook for because I'm I'm really really interested in um, TCM, like traditional Chinese medicine. I think the Chinese and their historical approach to health and wellness is just fascinating and just such a wonderful comprehensive overview of the body. You know, because they view things like temperature and the movement of qi in the body, which is energy, and how certain foods affect all of the organs of your body, and it's just really, really fascinating. And so right now I'm actually recording the audiobook for my favorite book I've read on TCM with the exception of basically the Bible for TCM, which is Healing with Whole Foods. If anybody's interested in TCM and wants the go-to reference guide for it, I think I've talked about it before on the podcast. It's huge, <laughs> but it's amazing. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but the best like book I've read, which is a book they would actually sit down and read because Healing with Whole Foods, you wouldn't I mean, you could read it from front to beginning, but it's more of a like a encyclopedia type thing. But the book that I have found to be the best like overview is called Live in the Balance, and it's by Linda Prout. And I'm recording the audiobook for her right now, and she's actually going to come on my new podcast. Reason I'm talking about all this is in TCM they they discuss that a lot, like the how isolating you know certain nutrients from foods or certain vitamins isn't taking into account how that vitamin or that nutrient is working in combination with everything else found in that food and like the effects it would have on the body. And I think we do that, you know, so often we still want to, we think we can like, and I think people see great benefits. I'm not, I, I do want to say people see great benefits when they do blood tests and they address nutritional deficiencies for sure. You know, if you, if you're deficient in zinc, for example, or magnesium or vitamin D, I, I definitely think you could benefit from supplementing to, you know, suit your chemistry. But in general, I think we so often think, oh, I'll just take a multivitamin and that's, you know, superior to food or that will, you know, be a, be my band aid for my diet when really I think taking in the whole picture is, much more key because there's so much going on that we probably don't even know about. And so, oh, we definitely don't. It's true. Same for the hormones. And we're like, oh, I think the good thing about the carrot is this, you know, beta carotene when really it's all these things working together. You know, Dr. Fung talks about this in the obesity code about how the foods are are packaged together in a way that, that is synergistic and that that's so important. They're not just the isolated components. Yep. The synergy. The synergy is key. 
Yeah. All right. Shall we go on to the next question? Yes. So this comes from Angela and the subject is herbal infusions. And Angela says, I love you both. Thank you for what you do. It's really just incredible the way you share so openly and without judgment. Yay. Okay. So I clean fast 16 to 20 hours every day and feel so great. I have one question. I take nourishing herbal infusions every day. Herbs have been used for eons in women's health. I take herbs like stinging nettle, oat straw, red clover, all herbs that nourish the organ and help a body thrive. It's one half gallon a day. I take approximately one ounce dried herb, pour boiling water and leave overnight. I drink it throughout the next day. I was wondering your thoughts on this during the fast. There is no way I can consume the infusion in my eating window, but wondering if it starts the digestive process since the infusion is strained, but still has plant matter in it. Kind of like tea thoughts. Thanks. All right. So I would actually consider this to be just like herbal tea. I mean, you're straining it. You're trying not to get the plant matter. I'm assuming like you just want it to be like, like brewing tea. Wouldn't you think so, Melanie, since she's straining it? Yeah, that I, I was a little bit confused because she said there's like plant matter in it, but it does sound more tea-ish to me. So I would I would try to get, you know, I would try to just strain it. And then I would think of it like I think of herbal tea because that's, that's what it sounds like to me. I could be confusing what she's saying. But, you know, when you're having something during the fast, if it's an herbal tea type of preparation, you want to stick to flavors that are bitter. And that's just because we know that bitter flavors are um, less likely to stimulate the release of insulin. So if your herbal tea has a bitter flavor profile, it's probably fine. But if it tastes sweet, then it's probably not something you want during the fast. And I would consider this to be the same thing. And I know that you make a half gallon of it to drink throughout the day. But, you know, you could always consider making it more concentrated and having it in your your eating window in that regard. You know, I don't know, you know, if that would work well for you or not, but that's what I would do. I tend to err on the side of when in doubt, leave it out. I mean, I don't tend to. I do. <laughs> so, you know, think about that. You know, could you make a more concentrated version and then have it, you know, in your eating window or closer to your eating window if you're worried about it? And also make sure that it's got a bitter flavor profile if you are having it during the fast. What are your thoughts, Melanie? So interesting you brought up the bitter concept and appropriate since I was just talking about the TCM thing. That said, in TCM and just in general, the bitter flavor is known to stimulate digestion. So does that change your perspective of that at all with that in mind? Well, that's interesting. You know, I was researching it from the point of view of like, you know, why do we, people are always asking, you know, you say no flavor during the fast, don't add flavor, but coffee and tea have a flavor. And so I thoroughly researched insulin response and flavor and bitter flavor does not stimulate insulin response, which is why that makes it a good choice during the fast. But, you know, as far as digestion, I don't know. I know that people drinking coffee and then they, and then they go to the bathroom. So (laughs) good question there. Maybe you just explained why people drink their coffee and then go to the bathroom. (laughs) Maybe. Gets things moving. (laughs) Yeah, so my thoughts, Angela, as far as my suggestions were, so if you're, you're fasting 16 to 20 hours every day, so it sounds like you have 
a four to an eight hour eating window. I mean, I, I can see how you would like to be taking it during your fast, but is it is it possible that you could open your window with it? Or, you know, so like have it, like open your window, drink it for like an hour or so, and then eat a little bit later and kind of maybe have best of both worlds that way? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, either way, that aside, if you find yourself in a, a groove of this fasting pattern that you like, you're doing these herbal infusions, you're having them during your fasting, you're happy with how you feel, you're happy with your energy, you're happy with your body, I don't see any reason to change if it's working for you. So if you find that it's making you hungry or messing with your fasting, then I think you probably would want to tweak accordingly. So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So here we have a question from Karen and the subject is standing desk. Just discovered your podcast and have been doing IF for four weeks. I clicked on the link for the standing desk hack and it took me to the Ikea main page. Wondering if you have a better link. Thanks. Yeah, so so many people have asked me this. So and I wanted so I wanted to clarify, IKEA no longer makes cuz the standing desk was not actually even a standing desk. Confession, it was a diaper changing station from IKEA that I just realized was super cheap compared to standing desk and worked really well as a standing desk. So I hacked it into a standing desk. It's no longer available. That said, I have an entirely new setup that I am obsessed with and I've been wanting to share with people. So I will put links to everything that I have in the show notes. But basically, I have so you can have any normal desk that you have. And th- this is really great, by the way. And this does relate to intermittent fasting because um, I think, especially like for people who have desk jobs, we know that like a sedentary, you know, being sedentary and sitting all day is just not, not good for health. So if you can make your work environment really active, if you do have a desk job, I think that is absolutely ideal. And so I have so many hacks <laughs> around my my desk and such to do that. And I, I really recommend them. So I have my actual desk. So you can have any desk you like. And then they make these standing desk like adapter platform things on Amazon. So the one I have is the Vivo White Height Adjustable 36-inch stand-up desk converter. It works really, really well. It's it's very large. It can fit. I have my my iMac. I have I have on it right now, like on the top level, my iMac, my daylight mimicking thing, which is very large. I have my my Juve mini device, my keyboard, my microphone. So it really holds everything. It has like a separate section for your keypad. So it works really, really well, and you can raise it to make it any height that you like. And then I have the Vari Desk Active Chair, which is absolutely amazing. So it's a chair that tilts, so you can lean against it if you want to like stand lean. You can sit on it. Um, if you're sitting on it, it's like kind of swiveling around constantly. So it actually creates a pretty good like ab workout. I think since doing it, I've actually it actually has like been strengthening my core very substantially. So I find that it really, really pairs well with the desk setup. And then I also have things like grounding mats and stuff like that. So I'll put links to all of that in the show notes, but I definitely recommend if you can hack your desk situation doing so because it can really make a difference. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I don't use a standing desk, but if I spend a lot of time at a desk, I think I would. Great hack. Okie dokie. So the next question comes from Danny and the subject is 5-2 diet. And Danny says, over the last year, I've been able to lose 104 pounds on a vegan raw food diet, but I'm still 30 pounds overweight. 
I've recently found out about IF. I like the 36 hours fast two times a week. All of the info I have about the 5-2 diet says that during the fast, a woman should eat 500 calories. However, I find it easier to consume nothing but water. And that leads to my question. Does it matter if I eat the 500 calories or not? Which option is healthiest? And which option will get the biggest fat loss? All right, that's a great question. Really, there are three embedded in there. You know, that's 5-2, as you said. And the original 5-2 plan that was proposed was really more of a calorie cycling plan than an actual fast, even though they called it fasting, because like you said, it was 500 calories a day. And I think the recommendation for that was because people thought that a regular fast would be too hard. (laughs) And just like you, Danny, I find it easier. When I was doing 5-2 or 4-3 or alternate daily fasting, which are all, you know, iterations of the same concept, I found it so much easier to have nothing than to have 500 calories. You know, it's for me, it's I want to eat a big satisfying meal when I eat. I don't want to eat a little tiny amount. And, you know, originally, the original 5-2, they were dividing up their 500 calories like all day long, which sounds so much harder to me, like having a tiny little bird breakfast and then tiny little amounts during the day. And, you know, so you can see that wasn't fasting. That was just a low calorie day balanced with the the other days of the higher calorie, you know, your normal eating days. And, and that's why it worked. It became a calorie cycling program. But, you know, really, if we're doing fasting personally, I I found that I wanted to maximize my fasting time. So if you want to do a full fast, I think that would be the best way. I would do a full 36-hour fast because, as you said, you're maximizing your fasting time, and I feel like that you would maximize your fat-burning time as well. Now, what about the 500-calorie days? Is there value there? Well, yes. You know, if you feel better doing a 500-calorie day, then that's what you should do. I would not recommend the original approach where you're eating tiny amounts all throughout the day. You know, that's going to be miserable. And we know that you're not really fasting. You're not getting the actual benefits of the fasting. You will get benefits from the calorie cycling of the down and then the up day that would be following. But you're not going to get the actual, the fasting benefits itself so or themselves. So... If you want to have a 500-calorie day just because the full fast doesn't work for you, this would, of course, not be for you, Danny, since you like the full fast, but for someone who would like to try the 500 calories, I would recommend having the 500 calories all in a very short eating window, like within an hour or something like that or whatever works best for you because then you feel like you're having a good meal and, and that's all that you have for the day. You may also find that you can sleep better if you have a little something to eat. I found that the full fast made it hard for me to sleep because I don't sleep well when I'm in ketosis, which is why I stopped doing the up and down day pattern just because, you know, I feel better when I eat every day. But I would experiment both ways to see how you feel. Do the full fast. If you sleep well and you feel great, that's what I would do. If you're not sleeping well, if you feel like, you know, you need a little something, have a 500 calorie meal and See if that works for you. And you you may just experiment and see which one. You know, maybe sometimes you like it one way and some days you're like, oh, I, today I just really need to eat the 500-calorie meal and then do that. You know, you can you don't have to do it the same way every time. Just really listen to your body and do what feels right to you. But I don't want you to think that, you know, having the 500-calorie day, the 500-calorie meal is like some kind of cop-out or not good. Because if that's what it takes for you to feel, for it to feel like something you can do, then do that. What do you think, Melanie? And so what are your thoughts about 
like which option would give the biggest fat loss? Well, I think that if you're maximizing your time in the fat burning state with the full fast, that that would seem logical to me. Now, interestingly, they have compared, they've done research on alternate daily fasting where they compared the zero calorie days to the ones with the 500 calories and they found no difference. However, the caveat there is they were not fasting clean. So I would be super interested. You know, it's really hard for me to take conclusions from fasting studies where people were having, you know, diet sodas and chewing gum and, you know, what have you. And I really want to see a full fast where they're really fasting clean. But the studies we have, it didn't make a difference. I find that really interesting because that it didn't make a difference because um, I feel like once you hit the, you know, especially once you hit like the 24 hour mark that you really tapping into that fat, I feel like it would make a big difference. Yeah, but what if they're having diet soda or broth all day? You know, that's going to ha- make a difference. So they they think they're having a, a fast day with zero calories, but they're really, you know, spiking insulin all day long because they're having diet sodas. So I think that's the spoiler in there, that we, we really have a hard time drawing a conclusion because I think that if you're you know, stimulating insulin production all day long with diet sodas, you're not going to get the same fat loss benefits that you would if you're just drinking water and having black coffee. That's true. That's a good point. That's my caveat there based on what I understand. So, um, you know, I would really like to see a comparison and I'd like to see it where they did it for a long time and they were fasting clean. And, you know, my prediction would be a diet soda you know, full fast would not be as effective. <laughs> yeah. Do a lot of people in the groups do 5-2? Not really 5-2. We do have people doing 4-3 and alternate daily fasting because that's really a great protocol for women who have a hard time. I mean, and for men. I'm not just going to say women, but women tend to be the ones that are more resistant to weight loss with the eating window approach. And it's just, you know, like we had a girl, I interviewed her on um, intermittent fasting stories, and she was... She was like a champion intermittent faster. She followed it for over a year. Her eating window got shorter and shorter. She was eating less and less food and was not losing any weight. She switched to an alternate daily fasting protocol. I think she actually did switch to 5-2. Now now that I, I there's so many, they run together. She might have been doing 5-2, like a modified kind of 5-2 hybrid kind of a thing. The days following the down days, you need to have true up days where you're eating like at least two meals. You don't want your up day to also be restricted. So you wouldn't do like a full fast and then one meal a day and then alternate that. That's not enough of an up pattern. I think she may have been doing, you know, down day, up day, and then maybe some days with the, I can't remember, but it got her weight loss going. And so we, we do see, especially if, you know, people love the daily eating window approach because it, it's such a great rhythm and it, it feels so nice to live that way, but it doesn't provide weight loss for everyone. And then the up down day approach really is just what a lot of people need. And then maybe the eating window approach will be right for them for maintenance. But some people just absolutely fall in love with that up and down pattern. They like the down days because they like the feeling that they have on those days with the fasting. But then they also like the updates because they can be more relaxed and they don't have to think about, you know, restricting to an eating window. They can go to breakfast. They can go to lunch, you know. So people just love that pattern. Some people are scared of it. (laughs) And so I would like to say if you are intrigued by the whole idea and you think you're going to not like it, try it anyway 
and just see what you think. You know, in Delay, Don't Deny, I have a chapter, the up and down day approach. You know, give it a try. See what you think. It might surprise you. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of that we can always, you can always try new things and, you know, learn something from it either way. So everything is a win-win situation in a way because you can, you know, see how things affect you and see what works for you and what doesn't. And right. And give it some time. Don't do one down day and say, I hate this. You know, it's, you've got to adjust to that just like you had to adjust intermittent fasting when you started. So give it time. Yeah. I'd give yourself a couple of weeks unless you start having crazy thoughts and you know, I mean, then stop, you know, but if you're really trying to give it a a go, give it a couple of weeks. All right. Shall we go to the next question from Brandy? Yes. Brandy says, Jen and Melanie love the podcast. I have a quick question. When y'all talk about foods that don't work well for us, what symptoms could we experience? I can eat any food and I don't technically feel bad, but if I eat Brussels sprouts, beans, or sweet potatoes, I get gas. Is this a symptom of a food that doesn't work well for me? Keep up the great work. Love, Brandy. Hey, Brandy. So this is a great question. So there's two different parts I'd like to address here as far as like what symptoms do you get from if a food is working or not for you? So yes, a lot of people experience GI distress as like an immediate (laughs) sign that something, that food might not be working for them. The problem is a lot of people actually may have seemingly, you know, perfect digestion and not experience any digestive symptoms, but have other symptoms that are actually coming from food intolerances and not realizing it. That could be anything from, you know, skin rashes, acne, headaches, energy lags, I mean, honestly, any symptom because so much of our health does boil down to our gut and how we're processing foods and how we're reacting to foods and whether or not they are serving our body. So it's hard to say whether or not, you know, a food is is working or not working well for you based on any one specific symptom. But I do think that's something to keep in mind. I think that's why a lot of people are get pretty shocked oftentimes when they'll they go on a temporary, you know, elimination diet maybe to address one issue, like maybe just GI issues, but then they find that all these other things get better. You know, maybe their skin gets better, their energy gets better, maybe their sleep or their their mood. Our brain, our neurotransmitters are highly affected by our gut microbiome, highly affected by our state, the state of our digestive health. So yeah, it's pretty, it could really be almost anything. I wanted to focus in though, you say you don't you say you have um, like gas with things like Brussels sprouts, beans, and sweet potatoes resulting in gas. So that is probably likely due to fermentable substrates in those foods. Um, Brussels sprouts are going to be very high in something called FODMAPs as our beans. Sweet potatoes, I bo- let me check my app, <laughs> which, so guys, I actually did create an app called Food Sense Guide and it was for this very reason to help you try to figure out like what compounds you might be reacting to in foods, because then if you can find out, oh, maybe I, I struggle with a certain compound, you can see what other compounds are high in that and you might can find trends, but looking up sweet potatoes. So like sweet potatoes are high in oxalates and moderate in salicylates, pretty low in everything else. But I think in FODMAPs, they actually are higher. But so I will put a link actually in the show notes to that app. It's absolutely wonderful. It's called Food Sense Guide. And I do plan, by the way, in the future to add two other new categories that people have been requesting. So stay tuned for that. But if you do get it now, you'll get updates automatically. So I definitely encourage getting it now. But um, 
Yes, Brandy, I would encourage you to actually look into FODMAPs because it sounds like that might be a thing for you, especially with those food choices. So if it is a matter of, you know, just getting gas from it, but nothing seemingly beyond that, it might be that you can tolerate those. Try having them in smaller amounts and see what happens. Try taking them out completely. It likely is, you know, obviously a reaction of your gut microbiome and how it's processing those foods. So it's really up to you as to whether or not you keep them in. I mean, if if you feel fantastic beyond that and, you know, the only symptom is the gas and that doesn't really bother you and, you know, you can pick yourself up and be good to go, then I wouldn't really sweat it. I wouldn't make it like a, a thing. Um, but if you would like to really focus on your digestion and, you know, eliminate that symptom, definitely, you know, consider, you know, cutting those out for a bit, trying other foods that might suit you better. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I, th- I think you did a, a great job explaining that. You know, experiment, see how it works for you. That would really be my best advice as well. So, yep, but Brandy, I would definitely, definitely recommend that you check out that app. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. All right. So now we have two questions that kind of tap into similar things. So I'll read both of them. The first one comes from Beth and the subject is wine. And Beth says, hi, ladies, love your podcast. I have learned so much. My question is about wine. One of your favorite subjects, Melanie, LOL, and mine. I've been doing IF since March of 2018. I started doing 16.8, then eventually I moved to 18.6, and sometimes do 19.5 or 24. I'm working hard to stick to 19.5 after reading Dr. Bert Herring's book, The Fast Five Lifestyle, and hearing his podcast. He's very knowledgeable. I haven't lost any weight on the scale or any inches. It's extremely frustrating. But I did recently go through menopause, and I do battle a thyroid condition. I recently switched to low-carb during my window, and I eat very little sugar. My question is two-part. Number one, I'm a nurse and I have a really hard time two to three days a week fasting for that long period of time during my 12-hour shift. I usually end up doing more of a 16-8 during my shift and just try to eat really well. Could that be hindering my weight loss? And before we go into the rest, let's go ahead and um, answer that question, Jen. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yes, it could. If you're having 16-8, you know, three days a week, then that could make a difference. I found that I needed a window of five hours or less consistently seven days a week to lose weight. And that may be what you're finding as well. Menopause also can be can be an issue. You know, the hormones, you know, the changes we go through there. A thyroid condition can also inhibit weight loss. So yeah, that's, that's you know, three different things that could all be um, culprits there. As far as our hormones, you know, with menopause that settles down usually for most of us. But as far as thyroid goes, I would definitely keep my eye on that, you know, with your doctor. But um, yeah, if you're doing three days of of 16-8 out of four, it could definitely affect your weight loss. Would you suggest her trying to do her 12-hour shift fasted or what would your suggestion be? I would. I would totally fast through a 12-hour shift. Yeah. I mean, she's having a hard time. I don't know what hard time she has with it. She said she has a hard time during her shift. So I, I don't know, is is she is it an overnight shift? Is, I don't know. She didn't really say if it's, you know, shift like nighttime. I don't, I don't know. I, it depends on the time. So I'm, I don't know the answer to that. But I do think that personally, I would, I would work during the, in the fasted state. I think that would be a lot easier for me, but I don't know why she's having a hard time with it. Yeah. I personally work much better in the fasted state as well. So yeah, if you can swing it, Beth, if you can try, you know, 
try doing that, that, see if that makes a difference. You could always bring some, you know, have food ready that works well for you and, you know, go for a day. And then, you know, worst case scenario, if you have to open your window early, do that. But um, I definitely encourage you to, to try it and see what happens. She says, my second question is the one about wine. I absolutely love wine. I'm not an alcoholic by no means, LOL, but I would say four to five times a week, I really enjoy drinking no more than two glasses of wine at night during my window. It's one of my favorite things to do as I'm watching TV and winding down that night. Could this also be hindering my weight loss? I've been hearing things about how your body reacts to alcohol and how it affects your liver, and your liver is working hard on burning the sugar, etc., and how it can affect your metabolism. I really don't want to give this up because I enjoy it so much, but I will for a period of time if that's what I need to do. I would love to hear your thoughts on both of these questions and suggestions on how I can fast longer during my long shifts when I have to get up so early. Oh, okay. So <laughs> that clarifies a little bit about her shifts. I'm sticking to IF because I'm sure positive things are happening that I can't see, but I do still have 25 pounds to lose. Thank you so much for all the research you've done and all the things you've taught me. Keep up the good work. So it sounds like her shift, she's starting um, early, right? In the day? Well, that, then I would totally, I wonder if it's just a mental kind of hurdle. Like, like I can't stretch 12 hours because mentally it just seems like I can't. And I would try to shift Beth, say to yourself, both Jen and Melanie just told me that they are more productive and feel better working in the fasted state. So maybe I would too, if I tried it and gave it a chance. Yeah. And especially if it's early because um, you can do your coffee, you know, <laughs> I think that actually could work really well. I feel like an earlier one would be easier than a late one. I feel like honestly, Beth, that this is like a golden opportunity to really lose weight because what this is giving you three days a week. She said three days, right? Yeah. Two to three days a week. This is giving you three days a week where you, if you're getting up early, so it's an early day and then 12 hour shift. So you're still getting out. You're still getting done in time for like, you know, a dinner. This is actually a perfect situation. I'm, I'm excited for you because you have 12 hours where you can be, you're productive. You know, your mind's going to be going. If you fuel it with some coffee, you probably don't have to worry as much about the um, insomnia or such because you're starting early. You're going to be working. You're going to be burning that energy. This is like a perfect, this is almost a perfect way to burn fat. Yeah. So Beth, I would encourage you to actually reevaluate this and not see it as a hurdle to your weight loss, but actually see it as a shining golden opportunity to actually lose those pounds. Take that 12 hour shift as your ideal fat burning time, fuel it with coffee. I think you'll be good to go. Yeah, I really agree. And I, I think that that's just maybe something you're telling yourself that you can't work without having a meal in the middle of the day, but I bet you could do it. Awesome. So then she did have that question about wine, but then we also had one more sort of similar question. This comes from Charlie and he says, hi guys, thanks for all your work, the research, time, recording, everything, everything included. You really bless my life, help keep me motivated, focused and growing in the understanding of how to improve my health and effectiveness of IF. Keep it up and you're doing us all a great service. I do have a question though. You talk about having a glass of wine during your eating window and my impression is relatively frequently. There are so many different opinions about drinking alcohol. For instance, Dr. Berg goes as far to say if you're doing keto and intermittent fasting and drink alcohol, quote, you can kiss burning fat for the next few days goodbye. I would be interested to hear why you, in light of the other opinions, think why you think what you do and whether you think there is a major difference between wine and whiskey. 
I really enjoy having a couple drams of scotch to relax in the evening. I just love the taste. Thanks in advance for all your work and the answer. Keep up the great service to your listeners. And he's from Germany, from Erskirchen. Yeah. I, don't, I was like, I hope Melanie knows how to say that. I do not. <laughs> so, yes. Jim, what are your thoughts on wine and alcohol? Well, I would absolutely not agree with that statement that you can kiss burning fat for the next few days goodbye. I mean, I think that's extreme and like nuts. And (laughs) that's a little bit of an exaggeration. You will never burn fat again. No. (laughs) No. I mean, we do know that the body's going to prioritize burning the alcohol first. That's how it works. You know, you drink alcohol. Let's say you're having alcohol alone. Your body's going to burn that alcohol. Of course, I don't recommend that. Your body will burn the alcohol instead of your body fat. But if you have your alcohol with food, as as I would recommend, if you're going to have alcohol, have it with food, your body will burn the alcohol first, and it might stash away the energy from the food that you eat along with it. So that is true. You know, it, it does provide energy to your body. And that is where it could absolutely stall your weight loss. Is it going to keep you from burning fat for days? No. Once you burn through all the alcohol that you consumed, you're going to burn something else. <laughs> and so just depends on how much you ate with it and, and how long it takes you to get back into the fat burning state. That being said, you know, this is both for Beth and for you, Charlie. I 100% found that when I was trying to lose weight, alcohol was not my friend. And Melanie and I have talked about this on the show before. For me, the reason is twofold. One is, like I just said, that the alcohol itself does contain energy that your body's going to have to burn through. And any excess energy that your body doesn't burn through is going to be stored. And, you know, that's you know, the food that you ate along with it is is probably what's getting stored, not the alcohol. You know, your body, you know, Nancy said something that's also, I think, not true. She said that it it goes, you're burning sugar. No, it's alcohol. Your you know, alcohol is not sugar. Alcohol is alcohol. You know, people have this mistaken notion that alcohol gets turned into straight sugar, and it, it's not the same thing at all. But that's one of the things, one reason. It's the extra energy that you're, you're taking in. But for me, the other reason that alcohol, I think, was detrimental for me when I was trying to lose weight is that it lowers my inhibitions. So I am more likely to want to have a snack or eating when I'm not hungry. It, it also turns off my appetite correction, which is part of that lowered inhibition. So I'm, you know, eating, eating, eating. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't tell I've had enough. So if you have a suspicion that alcohol may be hindering your weight loss, there's only one thing to do about that, and that is to experiment without having it. And, you know, I gave up alcohol for a time when I was trying to meet my initial weight loss goals. You know, it was time to start shopping for my new spring wardrobe. Spring was around the corner. I wanted to go ahead and get to the sides where I was going to be buying all these new fun clothes. So I avoided alcohol for maybe 10 weeks or so. And I was able to lose weight at the rate of about two pounds a week. I also gave up the ultra processed foods during that same period of time. So I was eating whole foods and not drinking alcohol. I wasn't counting calories. I wasn't restricting macros. I wasn't eating low fat or low carb or low anything. I just ate real food only, no processed foods and no alcohol. And I lost two pounds a week. So I think that that, you know, illustrates for me, alcohol made a huge difference. You know, I'm not trying to lose weight right now. So if I want to have a glass of wine, 
I can have a glass of wine. It's not going to inhibit any weight loss because I'm not trying to lose weight. But I have been also weight stable now for for a while. I'm not losing any more weight. If I did want to lose more weight, I would cut back on the alcohol. What do you think, Melanie? Okay, so I will say... If you have any questions about alcohol or fat burning or wine, I really, really suggest you check out my book, What When Wine, because it honestly has all of the information I could find, the nitty gritty details about all of this. It's all there. So it's got, you know, over 20 very detailed pages with scores of references about the the nitty gritty science. But basically, you know, alcohol and fat burning, I think, is poorly misunderstood because people think that like wine automatically, that alcohol automatically turns to fat or that, you know, alcohol is turns to sugar or, and it, that's not actually what's going on. So people will say that, oh, it has, you know, more calorie, it has like seven, it has more calories than other things. So you should gain weight from it. But ironically, it's much more complicated than that. First of all, like epidemiological studies tend to correlate drinking wine to actually lower body weights, especially in women, which is very interesting. And of course, that is epidemiological. That's not causational, but there is something going on there. And I do think context is key. It's interesting because alcohol calories themselves likely don't act like normal, quote, calories in the body. So I've talked about this before, but like when they do extreme studies where, you know, calories are consumed in extreme amounts from alcohol, it doesn't even necessarily result in weight gain. Like in one study, it was really interesting. They actually added 2000 calories of chocolate to a patient's diet and that resulted in steadily increased weight. But when they added 2000 calories of alcohol, it negligibly affected weight, which is pretty interesting. And they don't really know why this is. There could be a lot of reasons. It might have something to do with the thermogenic effect of alcohol, which may be around 10 to up to 30% of calories, which is um, basically your, your body, you know, burns creates energy as heat, which dissipates rather than storing it as energy. Can I say something about that real quick? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do get hot when I I do get hotter when I consume alcohol. So yes, that I I think that's 100% true. (laughs) I feel it. Yeah. Yeah, it could be around 10 to 30%. And then um, the resulting increase in the basal metabolic rate is estimated to be around 5%. And there's also this idea that there might might be an actual wasting of alcohol calories. That basically, when you have excess calories just from alcohol, the body just like wastes them. It just burns them off, basically. Um, but like I said, it could be more contextual. It could be that having alcohol consistently with your food creates like long-term metabolic changes or might reduce food intake overall if you're not experiencing, you know, what Jim was saying where it makes you, you know, eat more because of, you know, <laughs> lowering inhibitions, which is actually something that I do discuss in my book. Something else interesting is unlike carbohydrates, alcohol actually doesn't induce any fat storing enzymes and studies show that it actually doesn't seem to actually have any overall effect on fat storage, even though it does temporarily turn off fat burning, like in that moment, because it's the body is processing the alcohol, it doesn't have an overall net effect beyond that on fat storage. So that's very, very interesting. And then on the on the flip side, things like wine have actually been correlated to increased insulin sensitivity. So complicated. As for why we don't store alcohol, we don't have any any holding place for it. So Fat goes into fat stores, you know, carbs go into our stored as glycogen. There's no, there's no place in our body that holds alcohol. Our, our, our body 
processes it, and then it burns the calories accordingly. So with all of that given in mind, to address that quote about you can kiss fat burning goodbye for the next few days, um, I wouldn't say that is not true. (laughs) You're only going to be shutting off fat burning in the moment that you are processing the alcohol. And then like I just said, that the alcohol is not affecting fat burning enzymes beyond that. So I don't, I mean, I mean, what, what does he think that you start does he think you're burning alcohol for two know. days? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> like, if you like went on a real bender, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> and it would metabolize a lot sooner than two days. No matter how yeah. much you'd be like, if you drank that much alcohol, you'd be really sick and your body would expel it in another way. Yeah. So <laughs> I would encourage you when it comes to alcohol, weight loss, weight gain and everything, I do think there it's definitely a healthy place for alcohol, especially wine, because that has all of the additional benefits of polyphenols different compounds found in in wine that really, I think, can support health. And again, speaking earlier, I think there's a difference of having like isolated nutrients, like taking resveratrol from wine in a pill versus getting it in the whole foods form of wine with all of the other cofactors. I think that's so important. So um, I think there's definitely a place, definitely when you're in maintenance, I think there's definitely a place for, you know, wine and alcohol in your diet. In the weight loss period, I think I think some people can actually possibly even lose more weight if they have it, if they find the pattern that works for them, find the amount that works for them, and they find that it doesn't create cravings or create, you know, any sort of like binge behavior or lowered inhibitions. Um, But if those do become problems, then yes, that could be a problem. And I would encourage you to try cutting it out and see what happens. I also would definitely encourage you, so conventional wine, is often full of additives and things we can be reacting to and also very, very high in sugar. That's why Jen and I both love, love dry farm wines. So they make wines that are free of toxins, free of mold, low alcohol and low sugar. So um, if you're going to experiment with a wine while trying to lose weight, like these are the wines to try. I honestly cannot advocate them enough. And I think, you know, they can possibly really, really help. You can actually get a bottle for a penny. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You just go to dryfarmwines.com slash I have podcast. You'll get a bottle for a penny. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I honestly, they're the only wines that I drink. So I think for wine and a healthy lifestyle, especially supporting weight loss as well. Like I said, they're going to be low sugar, low alcohol. That's definitely the way to go. As far as wine versus whiskey, so from a health perspective, I actually advocate like the clear liquors because they're not going to have any of those additives, those any colorings, less of the potentially reactive compounds that people react to as far as food sensitivities go. But I mean, if whiskey is working for you, I, really, you got to just take it into context of your life and how it's affecting you. I think overall, you, you, we want to find something that's sustainable and that lets you have your wine and drink it too. And I think that's completely possible. And that's a a huge reason for why I did write the section in wine on my book, What When Wine. So yeah, I think alcohol is very like misunderstood in like the cultural context. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. So I think a more nuanced perspective is welcome. And I definitely encourage experimentation and, and seeing what works and definitely trying those dry farm wines. So yeah, I can tell a difference when, with those wines versus other wines. I mean, definitely. I tried to not be able to, (laughs) but I did, so. But you did. (laughs) Yep. Yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. We are a Himalaya partnered show, and if you follow us in the Himalaya 
app, you will actually get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So that's amazing. I definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. We love the Himalaya app. It lets you follow all your podcasts, make playlists, just so many things. So it's really, really wonderful. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Like I said, the show notes for this episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 126. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for all of these stuff that we like. You can follow us on Instagram. We are the IF Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. Well, anything else from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, I don't think so. But next time we record, I'll be coming to you from my podcast studio. Oh, my goodness. That's so exciting. In the new house. Without the That's red really glow. That's really exciting. That's with the red glow. <laughs> no red glow. <laughs> red glow. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's really exciting. I I'm excited. Yay. I'm so excited. There'll be no cats coming in and out because this is nowhere near the cat door. I think you should totally like outproof it, like I said, with soundproof like stuff and everything. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm not doing that. But it does have a door that closes, so it should be it should be good. Awesome. It's just right off my foyer, so. (laughs) Well, I wish you a happy move, and I will talk to you then. Thank you. Oh, I'm so stressed out about it. Uh. You got this. (laughs) I can do it. It's really getting more stressful, though, every day as it approaches all the millions of things that are coming up. Like my husband came home for lunch, and he said, would you make me some French toast? And I was like, who has time to cook food for you? I know. He's like, it makes me so happy when you make me French toast. I'm like, fine, I'll make it. And I did. That sounds like my parents. I made him French toast. My dad's always like, you make me a tuna melt. (laughs) Yep. Man, that's so funny. All right. Well, I wish you the best, and I'll talk to you next week. Next time. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.